Well, this is the second week in our series of messages here in the month of June on Jesus entitled, um, Who is This Man? And as we look at Scripture each week uh, in June, we're going to be doing what our children will be doing Vacation Bible School. And that is that they will be uh, with this agency, 3D, I think it is, is the title of that. Because they will be talking about uh, discovering who Jesus is, then deciding to follow Jesus, and then learning how to defend uh, faith in Jesus Christ. And so as we look at these different names that are given to Jesus, uh, we're going to do the same thing. Discover something about that name and what it tells us about Jesus. Then have to make a decision whether you're going to follow Him or not. And then you've got to learn to defend your faith. Last week we talked about the fact that uh, Jesus is described as the Son of Man. And of course that talks about His humanity, that He came uh, fully man but also fully God. And He came to fulfill the Messianic promise of being the Messiah. And uh, some didn't recognize him and affirm him because you know, he came fully human. They just didn't expect him to be also divine at the same time. But we also saw about that. Now, what does that mean that he's son of man? Well, it means that he offers us. He can identify with us. And he offers us acceptance, forgiveness, and wholeness when we come to him and come in relationship with him. And so this week, uh, we're going to look at another facet of, of his name. And Rick just sang a wonderful song about that, and that is, He is the friend of sinners. In His life and in His ministry, uh, Jesus showed sometimes a startling, even scandalous affection for sinners, for the broken, for the lowly, for the sinful, and for the struggling. One of the most common accusations hurled at Jesus, and which actually was a compliment, was this, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, that's a significant act. We know how significant it is. You get invited to somebody's house for a meal. It's, 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 it's a nice. It shows us there's a deeper relationship there. Or somebody wants to build a deeper relationship with you. And so in that culture, when somebody invited you to dinner or you came and had dinner with them, that was on a great level of trust and respect and friendship. And so when Jesus broke bread with people like Matthew and Zacchaeus, he was extending friendship to them. And the critics came up and they, they criticized him again. And they said, here is a glutton and a drunkard, though Jesus never had those acts in his life, never guilty of that. But he was this. He said, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And he was that, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And he caused quite a scandal when he called Matthew as one of his first disciples. We got a film clip to show you that out of the movie, The Son of God. Jews, how can they live with themselves? Our own people working for Rome. These people make me sick. Collaborators, let's move on. They're stinking vermin. You should keep your distance from them. Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other one a tax collector. The Pharisee prayed, God. I thank you that I'm not like other men. 
thieves, adulterers, or this tax collector. didn't even look up to heaven. He said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. God bless the tax collector. Not the Pharisee. Anyone who praises himself will be humbled. And anyone who humbles himself will be praised. Matthew, come. Powerful clip, I think, showing how Jesus was a friend of sinners. And not interesting that Matthew joined in with him and asking God to have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. I was looking at scripture in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 9. It talks about this call of Matthew and then a meal that follows. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners." As we look at this, uh, at this story in this setting, I think there are several significant things that we see in terms of Jesus being a friend of sinners and those whom He called in an act of a friendship and called them to come and be a part of the kingdom. And first would be that Jesus is the friend of sinners and He calls the unlikely to follow Him. He calls the unlikely to follow Him. You know, in the setting Jesus was doing what He loved to do. He was walking among the people. He was teaching about the kingdom of God. And he was calling disciples to come and follow him. And when you look at that band of disciples, what an unlikely group it was. You had fishermen. You had tax collectors. You even had one who was a zealot. And that meant he belonged to this very uh, strict group, the very highly agitated group that they wanted, even if it took action, military action, to overthrow the Roman government. And here he was called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. What an unlikely gathering. 
And so it's in this particular setting that Jesus gives to Matthew the invitation as he sat at the tax collector's booth to come and follow me. Now, Matthew was, this was an, Matthew was an unlikely person because the tax collector back then uh, was more despised than what we think about when it rolls around the tax time here. He worked for the IRS, not the Israeli Revenue Service, because none of that money he collected went to Israel, but he worked for the Infernal Roman Service. You see, the Roman government had overtaken Israel, and they needed uh, tax money to subsist. And so, these guys were tax collectors. They had a certain amount of money they had to collect as taxes and give to the Roman government. And so, there were little tax booths set up to where they would tax them for various things. But they could charge whatever amount they wanted to, just as long as they paid the fee that the Roman government wanted, and then everything left over was theirs. And so, Matthew, well, with the other tax collectors like Zacchaeus, they got rich off of that scheme. And to make sure that the people paid their tax money while they sat there in a the public place, there was always a Roman soldier right there to make sure that they paid. And so, the tax collectors were absolutely despised people. Um, I don't know what maybe you read first when you read the newspaper, if you read a newspaper anymore, whether online or whether you hold it in your hand. Uh, but I like to read the comics and I like to read the sports section. And uh, I, those are the first two things that I read. One of the comic strips that I follow is Hager the Horrible, the Viking. Any of you follow Hager the Horrible, the Viking? Yeah, I like that. So many times he has a tax collector come to his house to collect the taxes. And if you notice that, it's always a little guy, and he's got a little bag with him, but he's got a great big soldier with him and some kind of weapon. They're going to get that tax money. And, and nobody liked to see the tax collector come. In Jesus' day, nobody liked to see the tax collectors, because they knew that they were getting robbed every time a tax collector took money from them. And isn't it so unlikely that this is the kind of man that Jesus would call to come and be one of his followers? And I think as Jesus approached that tax booth, as Matthew sat there, and, and I, we saw it in the, in the film clip, I think that some of the people sitting there with, and watching that were thinking, okay, this is it. He's going to give that tax collector a piece of his mind. And instead what Jesus did was He offered His friendship. He offered Himself to one of the most unlikely person who would ever be a follower of Jesus. Follow me, Jesus said to Matthew. And the Scripture says Matthew immediately got up, he left his booth, he left his job, he left his security that it brought, and he followed Jesus on the spot. By calling Matthew, Jesus committed a scandalous act. He did not yield to the social or religious pressure, but he showed himself to be a friend of sinners. And it's so interesting that Matthew gave up that lucrative lifestyle because he saw something different in Jesus. He knew he was a friend to him. He knew he was genuine. And think about what Jesus had to have seen in Matthew. He saw the change that was possible in him, that he would become a true disciple and follow him, that he would become an evangelist, that he would become an apostle, and he would write one of the Gospels. Now, the same thing is true when you look around us. We might not be tax collectors, but we're really no different than Matthew. He was just making a living, maybe a little bit dishonest on the side, that might be some of us as well. But when you look at the fact that we are chosen by God through Jesus Christ, that He would come and call us and offer us that marvelous grace, we are the most unlikely of all people because we were sinners as well and still are. Well, the second thing you notice about this as the friend of sinners, that Jesus calls the undesirable to follow Him. Not only the unlikely, but the undesirable. 
We move a little bit deeper into the story, the next scene that we see. And Matthew is hosting a dinner party at his house. And there are probably several reasons why. He might have wanted to have celebrated his new life. He, uh, he wanted to honor Jesus. And I think above anything else, he wanted to invite his friends to come and have the opportunity to meet Jesus. Now you think about Matthew. He was a tax collector, so he was despised by the people. They would even spit when they would say, see one. Uh, so who do you think were Matthew's friends when he invited them to come to dinner? Now, if you're going to have a dinner party, you've got a list of friends that you would invite. So when Matthew would look at his Rolodex and look through to see who he wanted to invite, who do you think he's going to have on there as his friends? Only people there would be would be to other tax collectors. And then sinners, and in my scripture, sinners is put in quotes. You see, tax collectors were put in that same category as sinners, unrepentant sinners. And so those were the people that Matthew invited, fellow tax collectors. Who were these sinners? Well, they were probably people who just did not live by that rigid uh, legalistic rule of the Pharisees. And that's all that it meant. But what did it mean to them that they were invited to Matthew's house and Jesus was there? It meant all the world to them that Jesus would come and hang out with them and have fellowship at the table. And, and Jesus literally did that. He called these sinners. He ate with them. He extended forgiveness to them. And I think that meal there in Matthew's home is kind of a, a forerunner or a picture of, of the future meal that we will know uh, as the feast that we're going to celebrate at the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's described in Revelation chapter 19. And that scene describes for us people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you know who will be included in that group? The unlikely and the undesirable. But they're there by one way. And that's through the grace that Jesus Christ offers to them. The same way he offers it to us. As the tax collectors and sinners gathered around to hear him. The Pharisees, as they always did, and I love that guy that's a Pharisee in the, in the videos that we've seen. You know, he's just, Jesus just gets him all the time. He, he's always just like he's got a knife stuck in him and he twists it all the time. No wonder the Pharisees wanted to crucify him, and they did, because Jesus was pointing out how, how unlikely they were to be a part of the kingdom, their, their hypocrisy. And so the, the, the Pharisees said to the disciples, this man welcomes sinners and eat with them. See, they, they would never do that. They were so religious and so ritualistic and so rigid in their beliefs that they wouldn't have anything to do with those who were known as tax collectors and sinners. Now, when we think about that, you've got to look at it, that's a double-edged sword. Because on one hand, you have, you have the dilemma that says we as believers are to come out of the world and be separate. We're to be different than those people who are of the world and are not believers and have not confessed their sin and had a relationship with Jesus Christ. At the same time, we're told to go into the world and make disciples of all people. And that means we have to have time where we affiliate with sinners, don't we? Because if not, how are they ever going to hear the message of Jesus Christ? How are they going to hear the gospel? How are they going to know about His amazing grace that saves them and delivers them? But sometimes I think that we fear so much the fact that we might get uh, um, stereotyped, or we might get talked about, or we might get ostracized if we're seen hanging out with a bunch of, a bunch of sinners. And the Bible warns us about that. It says, bad company corrupts good character. And we know that it's always easier in influence to pull somebody down than to pull them up. 
But it's important to notice here that in all these relationships, Jesus was the one who did the influencing, and he never was pulled down. He never lowered his standard. So while we're called to be separate and live a life different than unrepentant sinners, we're also called to permeate our culture. We're to invade it, and we're to impact it. And when you look at the example of Jesus and how he did that, there comes a principle that you might want to write down. It's very simple, this. Presence does not necessarily mean participation. Presence does not necessarily mean participation. You know what that means? That means you can hang out with people who are sinners, and it does not necessarily mean that you're participating in what they're doing. See, we have to be, a, we have to be willing to hang around people who do not know Christ if we're going to have any influence on them. You see, every one of us should have at least one friend or one family that are not believers in Christ, do not go to church, do not know about God's grace, and not living in a relationship with Him so that we can have the opportunity to influence them. We've got to show them Jesus. Where else are they going to hear it if they don't come to church and hear the message? So where do we do that? Well, God's given you a natural place to do that, in your workplace. Uh, maybe we're uh, uh, on your bowling team. Or maybe you're on the soccer field while your child is playing sports with other kids, and you've got an opportunity to develop a relationship with other parents and talk to them. But it also goes down to the sales clerks and the stores where you shop, and even to how you drive. Think about that one for a while. And all of the relationships that were possible like that, I think Jesus walked everywhere He went. And Jesus was a friend of sinners, and we have to be also. I want you to think about this. I think about this quite a bit, and I want to pose this question to you. If Jesus were to come back and spend just one day in Northeast Columbia, where do you think He would go? Where, where do you think Jesus would hang out? You think He'd come here? I don't. Uh, number one, if it's during the weekday, there's not going to be very many people here. And, and, sh- and we, he shouldn't need to come back for us here because um, we, we should be all saved in a right relationship with him. So, where do you think he's going to go? I think he's going to go to the marketplace. I think he's going to go somewhere where he can hang out with some sinners and have the opportunity to influence them. Every Sunday morning when I drive in, coming from Pontiac and coming in, as I'm facing the church on the right side of Two Knots Road, somewhere there near Champion Tire, there are two bars. And, and I, I don't know whether any of you all have ever seen this or not, but there's some mornings between 7.30, quarter to 8, when I'm coming by, that people are just now coming out of that bar. They've obviously been there all night. So far, I haven't recognized anybody. So if that's your hangout spot, you're okay. All right? But, you know, I thought, you know, that would be a likely place for Jesus to go, wouldn't it? That would be a likely place for Jesus to go and hang out because there are going to be sinners there. There are going to be people who would not know Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. Suppose you saw me coming out of there. What would you think? Hmm? Now, some of you I know in this church would love nothing more than to catch me in something like that, and you would spread it everywhere. Trust me. I would hope after 25 and a half years here, you know my stance on alcohol, or you should, that if you ever see me coming out of there, I've been in there for a reason. Maybe I went in there to get somebody and bring them out. Maybe I went in there to share the gospel. Maybe I went in there to see if Jesus was there, Okay. I tell you how serious I take this that I don't want to influence anybody badly. I love root beer. Anybody else like root beer? Drink root beer? There's no beer, alcoholic beer to it. Like root beer. What can be better in the summertime than a root beer float, you know? I, I, vanilla ice cream and ice cold root beer on top of it. Maybe even chill your mug a little bit. Isn't that great? 
But you see, there is a brand of root beer that's good. I think it's IBC, something like that. It comes in a six-pack in brown bottles. You know what it looks like? It looks like beer. I don't buy that because if somebody sees that in my buggy, sure enough, they go think, there goes the preacher. He started drinking. <laughs> so I buy it either in a two-liter bottle that's very clearly says A&W root beer, caffeine-free. It's always caffeine-free. Or I buy it in the 12-can pack. And I got my grandsons drinking it. Wyatt, who is what, four? Wyatt loves root beer. And he says, root beer. I always he's when he's coming to the house, Papa, you got any root beer? Cookie had them all this week, bless her heart, while Philip and Emily Ann were in, the, in the Baltimore for the Southern Baptist Convention. And I didn't have much time to be there. Kind of wore out. One night they'd been, uh, when I got home, Wyatt was just wound up. I mean, he usually goes like a ball of fire. He runs everywhere he goes. If you just say, Wyatt, how about go get me so-and-so out in the kitchen? He runs there and he runs back. He's just got that energy. But that particular night, he was just like a, a ping-pong ball being batted around. I mean, he was everywhere. And Cookie says, that's your root beer. He had too many. I said, well, they all was caffeine-free. She said, yeah, but it's full of sugar. So I put my grandchild in trouble, and I got in trouble. But you see, what, what you thought, the point I'm talking about here is this. You know, sometimes we have, to, we have to risk being judged to have a relationship with a non-believer to be able to share Christ with that person. Amen? Hey, that means, though, presence doesn't mean participation. I think Jesus would go where they'd be sinners. He did so in his life before, that we read about in the scriptures. He went where he could find sinners and introduced them to the grace of God. Then it leads us to the third observation. That is, Jesus, the friend of sinners, called the spiritually unhealthy to follow him. Who's he talking about? Obviously the Pharisees. The Pharisees show their unhealthiness spiritually because they say, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus heard him. And so he answered with a proverb and with a statement that explained his mission. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. That's us who are sinners. We're sick in sin. And then he says, I came not to call the righteous but sinners. Why didn't he come to call the righteous? He was talking to the Pharisees in their self-righteousness. Why did Jesus criticize the Pharisees? It wasn't because of their goal of purity and obedience, but it was because of their hypocrisy. See, God called them, God called the Jewish people to be a light to the Gentiles and a light to the nations. And instead, they developed this tremendously intricate legal system. And they were the guardians and keepers of that legal system. To the extent that they forgot about love, God's love and mercy and grace. And instead they just want a strict adherence to the law and to the rules. Jesus said, you know, like they strain in a gnat and swallow a camel. And so when Jesus said, uh, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, he was quoting Hosea 6, 6 and saying, go learn what it means. He says, one thing to know the scriptures, it's another to live it. He calls us to live it. If we're spiritually unhealthy, we've got, a, we've got a warped view of what our Christian faith is like. You've got to notice that Jesus was always more comfortable around people like tax collectors than he was a religious snob. That's what the Pharisees were. And we don't want to be guilty of being a religious snob. And you look at Jesus' gathering of followers. He didn't save just white-collar professionals. 
He didn't just save fishermen. He didn't save the women, just, just women caught in adultery. He didn't just save Jews, Palestinian Jews. He saved whoever needed to be saved and was willing to open his or her life to the grace of God in Jesus. Now, here's what I want to do in closing. I want to give a challenge to two groups who are right here today. Some of you are believers in Christ. You follow Him. i got something I want to say to you. Some of you are not yet believers in Christ. I want to say something to you too. First of all, to the believers. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. You've had a moment in your life where you knew you were a sinner. You confessed that sin. You repented of that sin. And you invited Christ into your life. It could have been when you were a child. It could have been last week as an adult. But we're believers in Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, then here's what I want you to see. Jesus hung out with all kinds of people. And if you are a follower of Christ, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to let Him be the center of your life. You see, I think that's one of the issues that have the church as weakened as it has become today and Christianity as a whole not having its effect as it should be. It's a lot of good believers in Christ who, who have their Bible study, their personal time, their Christian time, their Christian friends, their Christian fellowship, all these kinds of things. But yet there are other things that detract from your life. And you aren't as available for God as you should be because there are other things that have taken over in your life. And you need to let Jesus Christ be the center of your life. That's fulfilling Matthew 6.33 that says, Seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these things will be added to you. In other words, if you put God as the center of your life, then everything else will revolve around Him, and you'll have your life in order, and it will have balance. And then there's a second thing now I'm talking to believers that I want you to do. I want you to introduce Jesus to your friends who are not believers. Now, of course, if you don't have any friends that are not believers, you need to get outside of your Christian circle. You see, that's where I think sometimes we're guilty about we're only here at church, we're only in our Bible study, we're only at, at Christian women's groups, we're only at Baptist uh, men's groups, Christian groups there. You know, we don't have any time to build a relationship with somebody that's not a believer. You need to do that and be able to build a relationship. What did Matthew do when he knew Christ? He threw a party. He invited people to come to his house, other sinners, so that they could see and meet Jesus and hear about His grace. So I challenge you then. Develop relationship with people. you got ready-made opportunities. Develop relationships with people who do not know Christ. Maybe it's in, in, your, in your neighborhood, right? Maybe it's just right on your cul-de-sac or maybe on your street. Develop a relationship and either bring families into your home one by one or have a block party and have them all there and, and talk to them about what your faith in Jesus Christ means to you. And don't hesitate about it. You know, don't hold back anything. Tell him what he means to you. And you say, I want to introduce him to you. And I want you to come to know him as well. So that's to you as believers. Now, if you're not a believer in Christ, this is for you. So listen very carefully. Jesus still offers that invitation to you. He is a friend of sinners. If you're not a believer in Christ, then you're a lost sinner. And Christ still loves you. He wants that relationship with you. He wants to hang out with you. But you have to invite him into your life. Accept the invitation that Jesus gives in Matthew 11, 28-30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, that invitation He gave so many years ago, so many centuries ago, is still ready and available for you today. 
And so I want to say to you, if you're not a believer in Christ yet, if you haven't yet crossed over that line of faith, then you need to do that today. I want to ask you to do that. I want to ask you to seriously consider your relationship. Where are you? If you would die tonight, where would you spend eternity? So you, have you confessed your sins and asked Christ to come into your life and be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life? If you haven't done that, you're not prepared to die, but you're not prepared to live either. And so I want to ask you to come in and let Jesus come into your life and be the Savior of your life. If you're a believer, you've got a responsibility you've got to do. Let Him be the center of your life. Introduce your friends to Him. If you're not a believer, you've got to come to Christ just as you are. Come to Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ who is a friend of us. That means He's a friend of, sin, a friend of sinners. Father, thank You for teaching us from Your Word and through Your Holy Spirit as He whispers into our heart. Thank You for Your great mercy. Thank You for Your matchless grace. Thank You that Your righteousness becomes ours when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. And so I pray today that believers here will be strong about living out their faith, risking to develop relationships with those who do not know Christ. And then that there will be those who do not know Christ who will come to make a decision to accept Him today. That they will come to know Jesus as their friend. And that He will be with them forever, sticking closer than a brother. And that will be a wonderful relationship there to have a friend like Jesus Christ. And so, Father, it's through Your grace that we place our faith in Jesus as Savior and our friend. I pray it in His name. Amen.